0: Funny to uh, go from a, a wonderful, peaceful, lovely, reverent moment such as that, proclaiming it is well with my soul. That's the proclamation that every single believer gets to make no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's happening around us, it is well with our soul because of everything the Lord Jesus has done and continues to do. And I wanted to share something else with y'all real quick. I had no idea to, to share this. Miss Nancy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share the joke you, you gave me this morning. So this I found this to be quite funny. Uh, Miss Nancy Murray gave me a a clip from uh, the the funny pages. If y'all remember the comic shoe, you remember about the birds that would do business, and I I, I, that's all I remember about them. Anyways, he uh, one of them comes to the other and says, "the the new health club for religious minorities just opened up on Walton Street." The other guy said, "Oh yeah, what's it called?" He said, "Jehovah's Fitness." (laughs) Sorry, when I got that, I had to laugh. That was. I thought I'm going to share that with everybody. (laughs) All right, well, let's, hey, I'm going to, a quick word of prayer before we begin today, and we'll we'll go right into the sermon. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for each and every person here. God, I thank you that we can gather together and worship and sing praises to your name. Lord, I pray that as we go into these scriptures today, that you will open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to understand your truth, God, that may your Holy Spirit speak to us that we may hear from you the words of life, that we may always live by them. We love you. We thank you. We give this time to you. All is yours. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So last week, it's uh, kind of hard to come off of Easter weekend, Super Bowl Sunday. We had all the excitement. Everybody's geared up and And then you come through the next week and you're like tired for the next few days after spending all that time with family and chasing kids and all that fun stuff and getting back into our our regular rhythm here. But we remember last week when we gathered together, we were celebrating the other half of the gospel that a lot of times, you know, I think we forget about parts of the gospel. It's not just that Jesus went to a cross and died for our sins. That he very much so did. But he also rose from the grave. And that's the other part that we proclaim. And then also we keep proclaiming every single day that the Lord is indeed risen. Right now, today, Jesus is seated on the throne. He is alive forevermore. So when we gather, I mean, basically every single Sunday is Easter Sunday for the believer. We proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Because if Christ is not risen, we have no hope for the future. But Christ is risen and so we indeed have a great hope and anchor for our soul. And that's where we left off in the series before we got into Palm Sunday and and Easter Sunday. We were in the book of Hebrews. We've been going through this series and just to kind of backtrack and remember, the book of Hebrews shows us how Jesus is greater, far superior to every other thing in, in the world far superior to anything in creation, the angels, Moses, Abraham, Joshua, Jesus is greater than it all. He is the fullness that all those Old Testament shadows are constantly pointing us to. And and whenever we were in chapter six, we, we finished talking about how Jesus, the hope we have in him is the anchor for our souls. And so I want to read the inverse of uh, chapter 6 there, verses 19 and 20, because this kind of segues right into where we're going to be today. Today we're going to get into quite a bit of of history, but we're also going to get into some things that are very amazing and incredible that we live and walk in now. So I'm going to begin reading Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 and kind of segue us into where we're going to be today. Uh, Verse 19 says that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Remember that Jesus went into the actual presence of God as our high priest. The temple and the tabernacles here on earth just represented that. We had the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The priest would go in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people but Jesus went behind the curtain into the actual presence of God. It says in verse 20 where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He's gone there before us so that we can go there after him. He's gone there as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's where we're gonna transition as we jump into chapter seven today. I'm not going to read the entire chapter to us. I'm going to focus on the verses at the very end. Um, but what we're going to see today, just as the author has shown us how Jesus is superior to Moses, how he's uh, greater than Aaron and Joshua, we're going to see that Jesus priesthood. We've already mentioned that he's become a high priest. We've mentioned Melchizedek, but we haven't dived real deep into it yet. And that's what we're going to do in chapter seven today. But that Jesus' priesthood, the line of priests that he is in, is actually far greater than any of the Levitical priests. Remember, the entire book of Hebrews is showing us that Jesus is greater. And today we're going to see that in the order of Melchizedek. So you're going to hear that name, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, Melchizedek. And for those of you who don't know who that is or don't know what that is or what that means... We're going to give you some history today, real, real quick, after we dive into this, but I want us to see three main things today. We're going to see that this order after Melchizedek, this priesthood that Jesus is in, is pre existent to the Levitical priests. It existed generations before the Levites were even a tribe of people. Melchizedek was a priest. That it's eternally existent, that Jesus was will stay as that high priest in this order forever. Whereas the Levitical priests, they're done when they die. That Jesus, under this priestly order, there is a better covenant. That's what the Bible said just flat out. It's a better covenant than the Old test than the Old Covenant. And then the ultimate benefit that we derive from that is that we have this perfect high priest who is able to save to the uttermost every single person who draws near to God through him. Because he lives forever to make intercession for them. So we have these these two uh, priesthoods mentioned in scripture that are actually, there's other priests and false priests and false prophets, but these are legitimate priesthoods in the Bible. When you go back and look in Genesis uh, chapter 14, after Abraham goes and saves his nephew Lot, there's this, King priest that we're introduced to named Melchizedek. And it says, the Bible actually says that he was a priest of the Most High God. He was a legitimate priest of God. Had nothing to do with the promise of Abraham. Had nothing to do with the law of Moses because that wouldn't come for several generations. But he was a real priest of God. A true priest. And then later we have the Levitical priesthood that comes along. After Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the sons, one of the sons being Levi, who down the line becomes a tribe, that's where we get the Levitical priesthood from, is from them. So we see this, this priesthood that, that was long before pre-existent, eternally existent, and of a better covenant. And, and what we're going to see today is I'm going I'm to quickly gloss over the first part of chapter 7. I hope you guys are okay with that. I want to focus on the end verses. Just because we've mentioned this a few times, Uh, in the previous sermons, because this was real important to the Jews. You have to remember, the author is writing to an audience that is primarily Jewish, mostly Jewish believers, but they have these Jewish roots, these Jewish understandings. And and a lot of the problems in the early church, that the Jews couldn't let go of all these things that they thought made them righteous, they couldn't let go of all these Jewish things under the law and Paul had to constantly write letters and correct people and say no you don't have to do that anymore you don't have to be circumcised to be saved you don't have to do this and the Jews just couldn't let that go because they didn't understand they didn't understand everything that Jesus Christ had done and that they no longer were under the law so they kept trying to impose the law onto the Christians onto the new believers they kept trying to bring the old covenant into the new and if we're not careful, church, we end up doing that very same thing. So that's what we're looking at here. That's why the, the author keeps making this known and keeps kind of pounding this for a while. We've seen Melchizedek for a couple of chapters here get introduced, but he, he makes sure we understand this. Uh, as he's talking about Melchizedek in the very beginning, in this first section, the first 10 verses, is just showing that Melchizedek is just far superior because he's even greater than Abraham. So again, let's let's back up and look at who he is. Melchizedek, first mentioned in Genesis 14. He's a king-priest. Now this isn't very common at all in the scriptures. The the priests in the Bible, especially under the law, were not kings. King David was not a priest, he he was a prophet, but they normally don't mix and match with this. But this Melchizedek was a king-priest. You can think in your mind who else is a king, priest. Instantly the Lord Jesus comes to mind, right? And this is because Melchizedek in the Old Testament is one of the people who typifies the Messiah to come. What we mean by that when we say type, he's a type of Messiah or he's a picture of what Messiah would be when he come, when he came here. We we think about this when David slew Goliath and he freed Israel. From the, he, he won that battle for Israel over the Philistines. He was typifying the Christ, how Christ would deliver us from our sins. When Moses led Israel out of Egypt, he was typifying that Jesus would come and save us out of our sins. These pictures all point us to Jesus. They're not exactly like Jesus in every way, but they parallel him in certain ways. And Melchizedek does this in, in quite a few, actually. We know that he is the the king of Salem, which is ancient Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and he's a priest of the most high God. He's this king that Abraham met with after Abraham went and rescued his nephew Lot from these other kings, uh, Mesopotamia, comes back and he, he comes to this king and he gives him a tenth of the spoils of war. After they did, he comes and he pays this tribute to the king and you know, the, the tithe was a common thing back in the ancient world. We, we know that lots of cultures would, would tithe to their kings or to their false gods. It was practiced in Mesopotamia, Syria, Greece, Carthage, Lydia. The Phoenicians did it. Uh, so lots of cultures in the ancient world would pay this as a tribute. It's where a lesser pays tribute to a greater. We understand that concept real easy. So when Abraham paid tribute to this Melchizedek, it shows that Melchizedek was greater than him. Abraham is just a regular guy. This Melchizedek was a king priest. He paid this tribute to him. But even when we see his name, the author of Hebrews says, that his name itself means king of righteousness. And then being the king of Salem, Salem means peace. He's the king of righteousness, king of peace. Who else does that sound like again? When we're looking at this, we should be thinking, oh, Jesus, King priest, king of righteousness, king of peace. He's pointing us to Jesus. And this passage is to show us that Melchizedek was greater than even Abraham. Remember, Abraham's the father of the faith. With Abraham's the one God made the promise to in the first place. He had no kids. He made a promise to him. Abraham believed God and was counted as righteous. So if somebody is superior to Abraham in the Jews' mind, I mean, that is way up there. Now, as we continue on, what this does is this validates Melchizedek as a priest, that not only he received these tithes from Abraham, they mention how the Levites under the law, they would all receive the tithes. Only priests received tithes, right? So only the priests would receive this under the law. And Melchizedek received them from Abraham himself. So again, showing his superiority, validating that he was indeed a priest of God. And it shows him that. So again, this, this order of Melchizedek, we don't know a lot about it. The Bible gives us a couple of verses about who he is. All we know is that he was a king and he was a priest of the Most High God. We really don't hear about him until we get to the book of Hebrews. But he was preexistent long before the Levites and the Old, and the old Covenant. He was the, his priesthood existed. Now also, too, the next thing we see in the next part is that it's eternally existent. In Jesus, we see this, that one of the issues that we have in the law and the scripture tells us this is that no one could be perfected under the Levitical priesthood. Well, that's a problem because I got sin. And if those Levites cannot completely, fully cleanse me and make me righteous with God, I've got a big problem. And that's all of our problem. So what what is this? We have this priesthood who does all these things, but yet they can't make us righteous before God. No one is perfected under the Levitical priesthood. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's why another high priest had to come up from a different line. That's why Jesus couldn't be from the Levites because the Levites could not make us totally righteous with God. So a high priest comes up from a Former, more superior line from Melchizedek's line. And this isn't based on blood. How did a Levite become a priest? Well, his dad was a priest and his granddad was a priest and his dad, and it, it was all based on blood. Whatever family you were born into, if you were born into the tribe of Levi, you served in that role in some way. You didn't have a choice. It wasn't about anything you did. It was about how you were born. But Jesus didn't become a priest based on his birth. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, he's not a Levite. Only Levites could be priests under the law. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah and the way he became a priest is through the power of an indestructible, eternal life. Because Jesus was perfect in every single way, Because Jesus did not deserve death, he became a priest and an intercessor for us based on the merits of his own life. Not based on who his daddy was. Well, Heavenly Father, but you know what I mean. Blood here on earth. Jesus became a priest not by the bloodline, but by his own righteousness. We know the wage of sin is death. The wage for being righteous is eternal life. That's why Jesus became a priest, not under the law, but under this other priesthood that continues forever. And this is where I want to pick up with us, uh, reading in verses 18 through 28. And this is where I want to focus. We could get into a lot of questions with those first 17 verses in this passage, but I want us to focus right here in 18 through 28. I think this is where the meat of, uh, of this passage is. Beginning in verse 18, it says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, check this out, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. So the law can't perfect you, but the better hope, through that, you can draw near to God. That's a much better deal. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath. Remember, we talked about how God swore on to Jesus. For those who formerly became priests, the Levites, they were made such without an oath. But the one who is made a priest with an oath by the one who said of him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. When that prophecy was made about Jesus becoming a priest, it was sworn with an oath, not just the word, but remember, God swore it, not for his sake. God keeps his word, but he swore it for our sake, giving us more reassurance, the anchor of our souls. Verse 22 This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Not a maybe. Not a what if, not a he might be, a guarantor of a better covenant. This is what the scripture says. Verse 23, for the former priests were many in number, the Levites, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, verse 25, here's the heavy hitter. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first For his own sins and then for the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. That's what we talked about with Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. That once for all offering. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. When you read that passage, there can be no doubt that the new covenant, the new covenant through Jesus Christ, the great high priest, is in, in technical terms way more better than the old one. Just in every way you look at it, it's better with Jesus. It's better. He is the guarantor. That's the gu- You want to know your guarantee of your righteousness, your salvation, your life, your forgiveness in Christ? is Jesus himself is your guarantee. I mean, that's a good guarantee right there. And we look at this, the the law kills you. The law can't perfect anything, but the better hope brings us near to God. I mean, if I had to pick between the two, I'm not going to pick the one that condemns me to die. I'm going to pick the one that I can draw near to God from. And we're reminded again of this oath, that, that promise that was made to God, that God swore it. That Jesus would be a high priest forever. Again, when we read this, it just gets better and better and better and better. And it says that, I love this in verse 25, that he is able to save to the uttermost. That is fully, completely, perfectly, ultimately, foreverly. However you want to go to the farthest, you can go with it. Fully save those who draw near to God. Through him. You see that? You draw near to God fully, completely, totally through him. There's no other way, but when you go through him, you go totally and fully. Since he always lives to make intercession. Jesus is alive right now at the right hand of the Father, waiting and alive to make intercession for every single person who calls on his name. Forever, till the end of time. Forever and ever and ever. You know, we needed that. Because of our sin, we needed something that could draw us near to God. Because we were condemned to death. Remember, when we talk about the law, James tells us, if you break it in one point, one, you broke the whole thing. One point, you broke the whole thing. You know what that means? Every single one of us, guilty. Till Jesus now everyone who has drawn near to God through him righteous every single person who draws near to God through Christ is made totally and completely forgiven holy and righteous you're not just dressed up as if you look righteous you actually are righteous in God through Jesus That's what we needed because we could never do that ourselves. And if we even start looking at the law and and looking at how we're doing, I promise you, we get condemned real, real quick. Especially if we started taking Jesus' words literally. We start talking about, well, at least I've never committed adultery. Well, Jesus said if you looked at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery. The law condemns us to the death we deserve. Jesus freed us to the life that is his. We have this perfect high priest. I love how he's described here being holy, which is to be set apart, totally innocent. Jesus never did anything wrong. He never broke the law, unstained, separated from sinners. You know, Jesus lived in this world, this world that is fallen, has got sin all over the place in it. And yet he never got contaminated by sin. He was never overcome by sin until he chose to become our sacrifice and take our sin. But Jesus never sinned. He, was, he never joined in with us in our sin in that way until he decided to take our sin, to die to it. And now he lives exalted high above everything else, above the heavens themselves, the realm of God, Jesus, the most high. He doesn't need to make daily sacrifices for his own sins. He doesn't have any sins. And in fact, he made the one sacrifice for all time. And that's why I I keep pounding this again and again and again, because the author of Hebrews also keeps doing this again again and again and again and again and again, is that there is one sacrifice for all time. Jesus died one time. Once you are forgiven, you are forgiven forever. Ever and ever and ever, you are totally and completely forgiven. And that can kind of be a little bit of a hard pill for some of us to swallow. So I'm forgiven until I sin again. No, you're forgiven for that one. And that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. one. You are totally forgiven fully, and completely forgiven through Christ Jesus. When it says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, did Jesus just kind of save you? Or did he save you fully and completely when you called on his name? Because if Jesus saved you, you're not 90% saved or 80% saved. You are 100% saved. That's what we live in. That's the reality that we live in as those who are alive in Christ because he died to sin once for all and now you're dead to sin. When I look at this, I look at this and I'm like, God, this is incredible. Look, Look at the deal that we get to live a part of. We we don't have to worry about all these sacrifices. We don't have to worry about all these things because everything that Jesus did, the priesthood that he's a part of is superior to everything in the law. We get the benefit of that. We didn't do anything for that. We didn't earn it. But yet that's what we get to walk in. We get to receive that free gift. We have that perfect high priest who lives forever, ready to make intercession for us if we call on his name. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are a child living under that better covenant. Stop trying to go play with things that would kill you. You are a child of the new covenant, freed from sin, given a new heart, given a new spirit, made alive with Christ Jesus. That's who you are now because of that death, that burial, and that resurrection. Everything that Jesus has done that he's still continuing to this day. Jesus was the perfect high priest for us because he was perfect before God. And he's perfect forever for us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we are amazed when we we look at this and and see the the brilliance of your plans, God. When we see what you have have done in in making Jesus a, a priest, a high priest for us, God, not one under the law that couldn't perfect us or save us fully, but one that could truly deliver us and help us draw near to you forever. And that's who we draw near to you through, God. You have granted us this, this gift and this mercy and this grace that is free to us, God. And it's free to us to, to begin and it's free to us to live in because it's not maintained or upheld by us, but by your perfect and holy son who lived on this earth, who came to fulfill everything that the law and the prophets and the psalms said he had to do to redeem us. And when he hung on that cross, Lord, he took away every single one of our sins. Every single sin was nailed to that cross and Jesus died the death that those sins deserved. And because we believe in him, Father, we died with him. But on that third day when he rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death, no longer held by those things, We rose with him. And that is our hope, God. That's our hope for today. That's our hope for tomorrow. That's our hope for eternity. That Jesus Christ, our perfect high priest, made the perfect sacrifice. His life once for all sin, for all time, Now forgiveness and life and all of your blessings are available freely. That's the better covenant that we enter into, that we walk in, we enjoy, and we say, thank you, God. Thank you for that. Remind us of that, God. Remind us of that constantly, everything Jesus has done. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who has not yet believed in Jesus. They've not yet looked to the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. They've not turned to him. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, that they would know that all they have to do is turn from their sins, turn to Jesus for salvation, and he will forgive them and bring them a new heart, a new spirit, a new life, God all free because of your grace and your mercy. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus. Amen.